Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Joe Fairley from Ascent Fabrication. You are listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. Uh, today, uh, we have a very special guest. We have Peter from OMD3D. Uh, Peter is out of Belgium. We're getting uh, quite the international list of contacts now. We've got Peter from Belgium here. He is with the company OMD3D, which is kind of an all-around uh, 3D printing development and manufacturing and service company. Um, I'm sure he's going to do a, uh, a very nice job here of explaining all the different things that OMD3D is involved in. Um, so thank you very much for coming on the on the podcast today, Peter. We're uh, very happy to have you here. Hey, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Yeah. So give us a little bit of a, an introduction into yourself and kind of how you kind of came into the 3D printing industry in general. Well, um, uh, I'm actually an aircraft engineer. Um, and I started my uh, independent business um, when I was 23. Uh, did a lot of uh, machine uh, development, uh, product development um, for uh, various uh, industries, uh, dredging industries, shipping industry, heavy steel and everything. And um, actually around about yeah, 20 years ago, uh, I was planning to buy my first 3D printer. That was then, yeah, the only available commercial machine on the market was the Stratasys machine. Uh, it was an extremely huge machine that could print, yeah, the size of a coffee cup. Sure. And it was extremely expensive, so we didn't. We didn't buy it. We, 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 we uh, yeah, said, okay, let's wait for a moment uh, because, yeah, it was extremely uh, I think it was around about 7 million Belgian francs in that time. So it was extremely expensive. So, uh, but then around about 10 years ago, um, yeah, the need, and we kept on following it, then the need for a 3D printer uh, on the desk when you are developing, yeah, we are tactile people. So you need to be able to, yeah, to hold something in your hand, check it by hand and everything. And yeah, we bought our first uh, yeah, commercial available 3D printer. And that was uh, a, a Leapfrog 3D printer uh, from uh, a Dutch company. Okay. Yeah, it's it like a lot of those uh, early printers came out of the, the Dutch region, right? We had Ultimaker... Yeah. Come yeah. on, seen pretty yeah. early on. Yeah, Leapfrog, that was the name of that one? Yeah, Leapfrog. It worked. Uh, it was not a super machine like all those machines in, in that time. It was, yeah, it was a very basic, basic machine and whatsoever. So, but that's that's how actually we started with one machine. Uh, and then, yeah, all very, very, very soon, uh, a lot of customers uh, knew we had a 3D printer. So we started taking jobs um jobs in for customers and then i was left again at the point that i didn't have any machine for myself to be able to see my designs so a second machine was bought and yeah you know how it goes it's cascading yeah. so we are yeah. running around about uh, uh 35 machines for the moment uh, uh from 35 machines now or that yeah. was back then no, no, now, now we are running around about 35 machines um, in now, a uh, few uh, SL, SLA resin printers, uh, sandstone uh, 3D system, uh, full color machine, uh, and then, yeah, various uh, filament printing machines uh, with, for the moment, the biggest envelope uh, of 1 meter 20 by 60 by 60. Yeah, okay. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, we are running. I th we calculated uh, we are running for the moment around about uh, one thousand two hundred uh, kilograms of filament a year in print service. Yeah. So that's a bit how uh, we 
yeah, it was an accident. We stumbled into it. We are still engineering company, and I really want to stay engineering company. Sure. Um, and but yeah, the print service. Once everything is sliced and everything is running, you don't have to do that much anymore. So sure. it's it's doable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who would you say is kind of your what industry is your biggest customer, and are they in Belgium or are they somewhere else in Europe or somewhere else in the world? Nope. Um, let's say we do round about 10 to 15% for Belgian customers. Okay. Uh, all the rest is abroad. Uh, we are doing print service for uh, uh, the United States, Brazil, uh, Dubai, Finland, uh, Holland. It's very close. A friend, uh, and then, uh, yeah, France is very big. Okay. Um, Italy, all over the place. Yeah. Belgium is a very small country, so there's not a lot of business. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of, of business to do in a country that is only 300 kilometers wide. So, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, sure. we, and, and a bit due to COVID also, we had to expand. Uh, everything came to a stop and then we, we had to go onto the international market mm -hmm. and it actually exploded a bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's say it exploded a bit. It's good, but uh, it it goes far for the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great to hear. What kind of uh, industries are you mainly in uh, with that print service specifically? Well, we are running uh, ninety five percent business to business. Absolutely. So uh, it's very rare we have to do some small print jobs for uh, schools or for uh, um, private persons. And um, we have a few electronics customers, a uh, few autom automotive customers, uh, orthopedics, not that much because we don't have the profession of ortho uh, orthopedics. I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer, so uh, I, I only can print what they send us. We can't uh, yeah, make the files or whatsoever. Um, uh, building uh, and construction uh, companies, it's actually very, mm. very uh, various. We have a few uh, metal foundries also where we only make masters uh, to to do the sand casting. Um, okay. So it's it's very different. Yeah, no, that's great. It's very interesting, but it's very different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with, with that print service, and you mentioned that you have, have uh, developed some of your own, you know, engineered uh, products yourself, what kind of design software are you using? I'm uh, running, uh, well, let's say, uh, for 90% uh, of the things, we are running SolidWorks. SolidWorks. Uh, yeah, we are running SolidWorks. We have a Fusion 360 license, uh, but actually we use the Fusion 360 li uh, license for some things that yeah, SolidWorks has problems with, like every CAD software, there is something that doesn't work like you should, you want it to, to yeah. and, and and for the sculpting, so for the 3D sculpting and the more, let's say, um, organic shapes and everything, we use uh, ZBrush. Yeah. ZBrush too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Have yeah. You, yeah. Do you use Mesh Mixer for anything? Oh, we are rarely. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to see what everyone is using and for what purposes. Um, you know, ZBrushes. ZBrush is completely free. Is that right, or is it? No, it's paid. We 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 have a paid license. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. We we have a paid license, and and we actually started off using uh, ZBrush because of some limitations in Mesh Mixer. Sure. I, we started off with Mesh Mixer. It's completely free. It's open source, everything. Sure. But yeah, it's like everything, it has limitations. So that's a bit why I went to go and see um, for uh, the ZBrush. Uh, because if we have to print in full color on our sandstone printer, we I am able to design all colors in, send the file to the slicer for the machine and have all colors printed. And that's a possibility we didn't have in the mesh mixer. So that's a bit. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I yeah. know yeah, we, we use it quite a bit for our, um, you know, orthopedic and prosthetics and orthotics oriented uh, designs for all those custom devices, but using kind of a hybrid approach between fusion 360 and mesh mixer. Sometimes um, I've yeah. only, 
I've only dabbled in ZBrush a little bit, but, uh, you know, definitely seen some other people uh, come up with some pretty nice designs and, uh, you know, have seen that the color aspect of it really be an interesting one. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the learning curve from my point of view to learn ZBrush at an early, at an oh, uh, at a let's say at a late age, uh, I'm 54, so at a late age, uh, starting to oh, learn ZBrush, yeah. uh, it's a steep learning curve. Sure. Uh, the possibilities are so damn enormous, uh, and yeah, we are milli uh, millimeter people. Uh, we are engineers, yeah. so sure, uh, yeah. there is a problem. <laughs> yeah, at some point, it has a problem. I actually start designing for a ZBrush. Uh, in SolidWorks. So I start making my basic design in SolidWorks, basic shapes. So I'm completely sure that dimensions are correct. Right. And then right. we transfer that file to ZBrush uh, and start off with that. So we are from the beginning in the ZBrush design, we are sure that all dimensions are like I want it to be. Right. Uh, so that's a bit, perhaps it's not a good uh, way to do it, but for me, it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, same kind of thing we do in Mesh Mixer. Um, if there's anything very specific that we need to design, it's going to be in Fusion 360 um, yeah. because of the the limitations of those measurement features in um, yeah. in Mesh Mixer. Right. They're uh, they're really not useful uh, except for maybe seeing the scale of something in the the unit yeah. dimensions. But other than yeah. that, uh, but it can be pretty powerful for some of the organic shapes that we're making that. Um, you know, we don't need to necessarily know down to the the millimeter of what they are. Yeah, uh, but no, that's yeah. interesting. So with uh, you've got the printing service going on at OMD 3D. Um, you know, I I know that you're connected with a few of the other uh, 3D printer companies, right? Um, yeah. You know what uh, what couple companies do you have cooperations with? Well, we have a very long-standing uh, cooperation with uh, uh, Colorfrap from uh, from uh, Holland. Right? Um, we started off as yeah materials reseller uh, for them, and we we have a very good relationship with them. And um, we also started um, as reseller for the black belt printer at some point. So we were uh, reselling uh, black belt. For a few years, um, so that's one. Uh, in January 2022, actually, we took over all activities of Black Belt. Uh, so right. we are now the producer of Black Belt machines. So we are actually pr uh, producing the standard machine that was existing, plus uh, a lot of new add-ons. Uh, yeah, to improve uh, quality, to improve uh, yeah. Functionality and whatsoever. So that's the black belt story. And right. then we are already, uh, I think, around about uh, six to seven years uh, reseller uh, for Belgium uh, and a part of uh, France also for Modix printers. Okay. Which actually is a very nice, affordable machine uh, with a lot of possibilities. It's a very nice, nice machine. They have a, a nice uh, range of machines also. So Hmm. It's for the price. It's a very high quality machine, actually. Right. What are the, what do those tend to run, and and how big are those machines again? Well, the biggest machine we are running here is the Modix One Twenty. So we have one meter twenty in uh, uh, x uh, axis, uh, sixty centimeters in y, and sixty centimeters in the z axis. Okay. Um, the biggest machine available for Modix is the One Eighty. So it's one meter eighty. Uh, long by 60 by 60 uh, but what we see is that the machine that is for the moment going the best is the big meter so you have a, a cube of one one meter 50 centimeter uh, five centimeters so you can print one meter cube parts okay uh, uh, now with idx extruders so you have a, a two idx tool heads it's a fantastic machine uh, it's a nice envelope for those guys who want to make shares or whatsoever. In one meter envelope, you can put already a lot of parts sure. or uh, rather big parts for furniture It's a, and, and everything. It's a nice machine with a reasonable price. 
so it's a, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's quite interesting. What kind yeah. of um, what kind of hot end do they have on their nozzle size? Well, they used to have the E3D hot ends, uh, the Titan Iro, uh, I think something like that. But to be honest, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a rubbish extruder. Uh, for us, we are running. For the us, we, are coming we, along. I feel like they've lagged a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for 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 us, uh, running a machine twenty four seven. Uh, yeah, I already own a lot of uh, stock options from E three D by uh, changing extruders every other week or every five weeks because everything is worn out and everything. So yeah. Yeah, but Modix has now its own proprietary uh, combination. So they use the Bontec uh, extruder. Okay. Uh, it's a fantastic, but with a uh, Griffin uh, hot end. So it's their own uh, hot ends. Uh, they developed uh, together with the guys from Slice Engineering okay. uh, from sure. Canada. So uh, I, it's and let uh, they go up to one point two millimeter standard. I'm uh, running one machine with a 1.4 millimeter nozzle also. I made myself, but yeah. Eh? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course you did. So we, we, we actually drilled it, drilled the standard uh, standard one out and actually, but it, it, it really works, it's fantastic. Uh, almost no more clogging, even for flexible materials and whatsoever. Uh, it's uh, It can run 24 seven without actually having uh, huge problems. Very nice. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I'm definitely getting more and more interested in, in printing big. Um, you know, you see the filament innovations machine behind me yeah. here. Uh, this is just their smallest printer that's now out of date. Uh, they yeah. continue to go larger and larger. Uh, they're actually coming out with a new one meter cubed uh, printer as well. Uh, yeah. That uh, that's going to be coming up here toward uh, I think maybe the the fall time. I think Mike said. Uh, pellet extrusion or pellet extrusion or with the the high flow from dyes uh, filament 2.85 i think it's gonna have both actually it, i think it's gonna have both options don't quote me on that but uh you know if i know mike he's he's gonna have everything he can into that printer um yeah. no it's it's at least gonna have the the typhoon from dyes design um, you know, but I, I saw a picture of one of his posts recently on LinkedIn. Um, and I think I saw a, uh, a pulsar on there as well. Um, so he's definitely getting more and more into the pellet extrusion. Uh, the new Aries printer is a yep. beautiful machine, very large build volume as well. Um, I saw it printing there in person in Pennsylvania, uh, about two weeks ago, I was down there, uh, doing a training on that printer with him. And uh, it's it's a beautifully built machine, um, you know, really seamless uh, pellet extrusion that they have kind of come up with a couple little tweaks of their own to help with, um, you know, reducing or eliminating some clogging and, um, you know, just making the printing experience overall a little bit more attainable for people. They've even yeah. come out now with their own um, their own slicer called Odin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I knew. I saw. I already yeah. saw. It seems promising. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're trying to make that you know just very, very entry point level, easy plug and play for pellet extrusion. So that's kind of what that was built for, and um, you know, obviously do able to do filament extrusion as well. But yeah, I know definitely going to want to take a look at that uh, when that's fully available. Uh, the their new one meter cube printer. Um, not sure if that was still named the Poseidon or if he's named it something else now, but um, he's continuing on with the Greek mythology there to, uh, you know, name his printers, which is pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know you were asking about the, the film innovations printers the other day. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I think I'm following them already. Yeah. Yeah. For a few years, actually. So two years two years and a half i came up to it yeah through google search like everyone else i think and it's 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 very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. but uh so you know and with again this kind of high volume approach toward more production status printing um you know i was very interested in, in the black belt printer and that's our original connection here um yeah. i had watched black belt as they started out um you know as that separate company but you know with you taking it on as well um you know you've talked a little bit about some of the 
improvements and enhancements and add-ons that you that you've had with the black belt printer. So can you kind of take me through what the basic black belt printer is and what that does and what its features are, and then start to get into some of those uh, additional add-ons? Well, the basic the basic black belt printer was and still is. Uh, a uh, machine with a um, x-axis of around uh, 340 millimeters, uh, y-axis uh, 340 millimeters also. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we're printing on a custom-made custom uh, carbon belt, which actually almost for all materials avoids using spray or glue or whatsoever. I, uh, you so it's actually a carbon fiber? It's a carbon fiber belt, yeah. It's custom made. Uh, it's only 0.8 millimeters thick. So it's uh, very, uh, it's a very nice, you can have a, and the adhesion of most materials is superb. Uh, yeah, you only have problems with those materials that are already, yeah, very difficult, uh, like a uh, Pure polypropylene can give some issues without any uh, adhesion, uh, like spray or glue or magic glue or whatsoever. Sure. But we managed um, printing uh, filled polypropylene, so glass fiber filled or carbon filled polypropylene is a, a lesser problem. Even uh, nylon, uh, so PA12 uh, or PA6 uh, filled it works yeah you have to make another slice file than st standard materials but yeah actually even we we even tried several uh, materials like polycarbonate uh, also that work and i i really try to have a system where you don't have to apply glue every other meter uh, right it's a continuous machine it's it's built to run 24/7 so all components are uh, high performance, high quality. Uh, um, and then if you have to sit down next to the printer to be, to apply glue or or spray or whatsoever. So we try to to have a system where we don't have to use glue anymore. Right. No, that's it's not. A, we know it's not always feasible, but uh, having an open machine without uh, enclosure and and all those things, so it, that can give you uh, some some trouble anyway. So we have a, a two. But in the standard machine, we had uh, two uh, printing systems. So we had a Bowden system, um, and a the Vario drive actually is a dual drive system. So we have a direct drive head. Uh, on the gantry and we uh, push the material from the controller control unit so there's no strain uh, in the Bowden tube guiding the material so we can go very very flexible also without having problems um, and, and everything and we obviously use 90% uh, the Varia drive system. The, we don't sell a lot of Bowden systems anymore for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, Bowden systems, they work. Right. But yeah, 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 yeah. And we use the uh, DICE uh, hotends, so the DICE uh, extruder, DICE hotends, fantastic material from Canada. Uh, so uh, the the nozzles also, they're uh, titan, uh, ding and tungsten carbide. Uh, so it's fantastic. It, almost never clogs uh yeah if you try to print uh pvc for instance yeah you yeah, don't want yeah. to print you don't want to print pvc also if you uh, care for your health but if you are trying to do it it's also damn particular and very dangerous so it starts crystallizing at a wrong temperature and everything so yeah. and then yeah obviously it's clogging but printing with PVC, that's that's interesting. I don't know if ooh, I've heard of anyone do it. printing it's, with PVC. <laughs> you mean like just PVC piping, like that material, right? I like the material they use oh. for windows, for sure. extrusion for windows and all those things. We uh, we didn't did some tests. It is possible. It is possible to print. It's very difficult. It's oh. very, very difficult because of the fact that the temperature line or curve, the sweet spot is very, very precise too much temperature, too low. So it's very precise. Interesting. It, really, it works, but it's highly toxic, yeah, uh, obvious. 
um, uh, that's also one thing. And it's also very aggressive. So every part in your workshop, even not on the printer, but in your entire workshop, uh, the day after you have uh, printed with uh, PVC, uh, everything is rusted. So everything is starting to cor corrode after a oh. day. So so you don't want to inhale those fumes. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, just, uh, okay, so definitely not worth printing PVC. No, 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 rusted. no, no. But yeah, for the rest, uh, so oh, I had some, for the black belt, I had some yeah issues. As an engineer, you always want to improve. So what we first did is we enlarged the linear uh, the linear guides. So we took one notch higher, uh, the linear blocks one one notch longer. So we had a more stable uh, guideway and everything. So uh, which is uh, yeah avoiding a lot of problems with the longer uh, blocks and everything linear guides and also yeah mm -hmm. it makes sure that the machine is running way longer before you would even have to think about changing a linear guide or whatsoever. Right. Um, to my knowledge, we never had to change any anymore since we changed them. So okay. Um, okay. what we changed also is the diameter of the axis of the uh, stepping motors uh, to a higher uh, diameter to be sure those, those were stable. Yeah, minor changes to improve overall quality. I, 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 what I would like is is to have a machine where you don't have to um, do maintenance uh, and have a lot of costs of maintenance and whatsoever. So daily maintenance, like cleaning up, uh, oil gluing, the linear guides, keeping the machine right. clean, and for the rest, yearly check belts uh, and everything. But right, it, so that's that's and and I wanted to have the machine running twenty four seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the key uh, of conveyor belt printing, right? Well, that's the key. So if you, if you yeah. put a reel of 25 kilos on the machine, um, start printing until it's over. Uh, 25 right. kilograms, it's already a lot of kilometers. So uh, you go a long way with it, but that was the idea. Um, and then and then what we saw is, yeah, do also our resellers, uh, questions from our resellers, questions from existing customers is, is there an enclosure for the machine? Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, once you open the door from the workshop draft and then especially with uh, non-standard, yeah, with PLA printing, you don't have any problems, but right. no one in industry prints with PLA. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny i you know in the last two years that uh, i've been printing i really haven't printed anything in pla although mm -hmm. i just i just this week got one um one order that's outside the prosthetics and orthotics field for an art project actually uh where they want to be able to paint uh the actual uh parts that we're printing so i did order some P white pla and that's kind of what we're we're printing this week but otherwise you know we've got um, all well, for painting, if if you're using an industrial paint, use PETG, uh, a polyester, to, uh, uh, PETG or a co-polyester. Uh, it works fantastic with yeah. a two-component, uh, a two-component in industrial or car uh, paint. It works fantastic. Uh, there's a very good adhesion, so that's not not an issue. Yeah. No, we we only use uh, uh, PLA for uh, one particular customer. Um, so it's a metal foundry custom, uh, customer. So we make the patterns they use uh, for the sand casting, and we use only one, only one brand, only one color. So the color fab uh, PLA PHA natural. We use that for that, and there's only one reason: it burns out clean. So they burn out the the model from the the from the mold. Mm -hmm. And it burns out completely without leaving any residue, completely clean. And that's actually where we are running PVC, but for the uh, 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 PLA, but for the rest. Yeah. No. Interesting. So with the with the continuous printing that we have on the black belt, um, kind of yeah. run run me through the 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 physics and what happens at the end of the the drive uh, where those parts are coming off of the build plate. Kind of how does it separate from the belt and um, with those couple add-ons of the roller table kind of just run me through you know what happens at that instance well we have a separate heating zone 
uh, in the machine. So we have actually two zones on the belt, a heated part and a non-heated part. Uh, for some special uh, machines we custom make for the customers, we can heat that part also. Uh, but standard, we have uh, the printing area is heated. And then you have, a, a let's say, around about uh, 40 centimeters of build plate that is not heated. Okay. So once, once the, if it's a continuous small parts you're printing, so they leave the heated zone when they are already finished. And they actually start to cool down, and due to uh, yeah the normal shrinkage, uh, mostly when they come at the end of the belt, it's they're already loose. And okay. if you're printing very small parts, you can yeah put a bit a bin under it, uh, under under the belt, or uh, and and you can collect all the parts that are running. Uh, so that's the easiest one. If you're uh, yeah printing long parts mm -hmm. uh, and long profiles, you obviously need to support what's coming out of the belt. Mm -hmm. So we have the roller, uh, roller table where they are transiting on uh, and you can continue printing uh, Yeah, if you want. Depending on your design and your material, uh, you can print six meters, uh, 10 meter profiles in one go. Right. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's no there's no like scraper at the end of the the bed. There is, the, there the is, but board. mostly you don't need it. I, there is one, actually, a bit to prevent uh, materials like very flexible materials to go back to the beginning of the belt because then you're printing on top of the other one. So right. that's actually a bit why why we we have one, uh, or we have the option to to put it on. Um, but I rarely, rarely have to use it. There's a small nick in the uh, in the belt at the end that actually makes the part come loose. Okay. So, so the belt is not completely straight. At the end, we go a little bit lower with the um, the profile of the belt, which detaches the part for uh, yeah for ninety percent of the prints. It it detaches it by by itself. So that that really works good. Uh, so uh, talking about improvements, uh, yeah, a uh, non-heated enclosure was actually the first thing we did. Just to keep our draft, have a small flexible uh, curtain at the front of the machine. So to keep in the, yeah, keep out the wind and cold and to keep in the, the, the temperature, keep it more conditioned. Sure, sure. Obviously, you know, uh, the next thing is when the part comes out of the printer, you have a thermal shock. So the next question from some customers was, yeah, but the roller table, can you close that too? Yeah. 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 Let's so let's close everything. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a closed, uh, we, we have a closed extension. Uh, so you can prolong the heating zone if you would like, or the, the, the conditioning by one meter per roller table. We, we, for transport reasons, we chose for one meter lengths. Because if we have to send the machine to the States, uh, we try to keep it in a one meter 20 length, standard yeah. Euro, Euro pallet uh, to, to be able to do the shipping. So that's why we chose for one meter uh, roller table. Makes sense. Uh, you've yeah. got a heated enclosure as well, right? And a heated ah, next step, next step. Obviously, if you have an enclosure, next step is, and the question is, yeah, can you heat the, the enclosure? Right. Uh, yes, now we can. We developed a, a separate unit, actually. So we can send a separate unit to the customer who already has an enclosure or has his own enclosure uh, to be used uh, um, to heat up the environment. So, um, and also we use the same module to heat up, if necessary, the enclosed uh, roller table uh, in, in the more... Um, how do you call it? The machines that are having still more add-ons and add-ons, it's actually yeah. the same the same heater unit we use for the filament conditioning and the filament drying system. Sure. So we we have a very standard heating unit. We can even sell to put on a Modix machine if you would like to condition that environment also. So sure. that's why I developed it completely separate to be able to sell it as a separate unit. 
Yeah, you mentioned a conditioning unit and then a a drying unit, right? And I yeah. can you take us through those two differences there. Yeah, so um, we we started having yeah questions on yeah for professional use customers who want to run twenty four seven and don't have a separate drying unit or don't have a separate uh, conditioning uh, system or whatsoever for so. Um, in in the standalone frame that was open before, uh, we yeah we enclosed it. We so we have the possibility to enclose the standalone uh, frame, and there we can put a a, a volume in for uh, drying the filaments. I have tested it to go up to one hundred and twenty uh, degrees Celsius, so that works fine. It's not necessary for all materials, so but. Uh, it is possible to go uh, that high if necessary. And then uh, for some materials, yeah, we obviously know we all try to print uh, straight from the dry box right. uh, to keep the mo mo moisture out. On the black belt, it was a separate uh, system, a separate roller that was again open in the air. So we made actually a drawer system for uh, two reels of 4.5 kilograms to feed from inside the uh, enclosure directly to uh, the extruders without exposing it anymore to uh, moisture in the air. So um, that okay. unit, um, yeah, mostly you don't have to heat, you just have to keep out the moisture uh, that would be able to go in. But yeah, we have the possibility, if, you, if it would be necessary to, to preheat your filament up to 80 degrees. Gotcha. If it would be necessary, uh, I haven't used it still yet uh, at that higher temperature. Mostly what we do is we put uh, that uh, unit at 35 degrees, around about 35 degrees. Uh, and that's way more than enough to keep the moisture out and not to overdry the filament then also. Because if you go too high and you overdry, it, get, it gets brittle and whatsoever. So actually what we did... It's still the same black belt. We we just made simple add-ons to yeah simplify for customers or to improve uh, the experience or or to improve quality and whatsoever. So and the latest is now we have a dual uh, a dual gantry dual head. Um, it's designed to be IDX. It works IDX. Um, it works fine for printing two profiles at the same time. Uh, so yeah, you actually speed up your process uh, by, how, by you double your uh, production output right. uh, with the two heads. Did, did some tests. Uh, it's completely possible to use a flexible material on one head, use a, 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 a rigid material on the other, as long as uh, the flow and and the speed of the z-axis keeps keeps up with the two materials. Mm -hmm. You can print a flexible material and a uh, rigid material on the same go. That's uh, that's very nice. Yeah, yeah, having the ability to do two different materials, you know, or that IDEX independent dual extrusion at at the same time is definitely you know very useful. Yeah, uh, there's still there's still a snag. There's yeah. still a, a, a small issue in real IDX for belt printing because it's actually very simple. There's no slicer available who is able to slice for a belt with two heads. So that's a bit the yeah. issue. Yeah. That's a bit the issue we have. We have a machine that is capable. We did some tests. It works fantastically. Yeah. But there is no slicer available. So we are talking also uh, like uh, Mike did from uh, with uh, Created Real yeah. to see to see if they are able to make us a slicer dedicated for black belt. Very with nice. Dual head. We, we already made uh, triple head, uh, quadruple heads also. Right. But then um, we statically connect those heads. Okay. So, Way we mechanically connect those heads so they have the same interdistance like uh, the US uh, stacker machine works, and then you can print four four profiles, five profiles uh, in one go without any problems. It's the same slice as one part, so that's not no issue yeah. anyway. Uh, but, but I would like it really to have the functionality of the IDX 
Um, yeah, we're working on it. So uh, apart from uh, Slicer uh, issues for the moment, that's actually completely operational. Right. But what we did is, again, we designed it to be an add-on. So it is possible to sell a customary machine with one head, with everything in the on the mechanical side uh, already ready for a second head. Uh, so if you decide on buying a black belt and you want one head to start with, or you want to spread yeah, the costs for the machine, there is the possibility to uh, quite easily send you the upgrade kit, do the upgrade yourself, or like uh, you uh, in America can do then, uh, upgrade the machine for the customer, uh, get it running. So we kept all those things actually as separate add-ons to be possible or not possible to buy and use them. Okay. So that's so the couple of different add-ons there with the dual extrusion, obviously you have the, the separate extruder, right? That would have to be installed. Would you yeah. go from a the, the standard size belt to a wider belt then at the same time? Uh, going to the wider belt is a bit more difficult. Uh, Do you want them option? to start with a wider belt to start? Yeah, I would suggest, yes, it is possible, but it would mean that um, the customer will have to dis disassemble a huge part of the machine to widen out the chassis. Uh, he will have to change the rollers uh, with uh, heavier axis uh, and all those, all those things. He will have to uh, recalibrate the belt again. Uh, which is not that difficult, but okay, it, it's it's a possible option, but I wouldn't suggest it to send it to a customer and to let the customer do that uh, switch over. Sure, sure. You could you could say okay, we we will keep one one or two uh, modules uh, here so we can switch over from a wide to a small machine or whatever. But I wouldn't uh, advise a customer to do it himself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, for for obvious reasons, hey, it'll take you around. Uh, I think it'll take you around for an experienced uh, fabricator. It'll take you around about a day or two to yeah. get it completely set up again. So, yeah. So, yeah, you're you're needing that knowledge anyways, and probably not best in the in the consumer's hand at the, at this point, but. At least yeah. being able to adapt the machine to dual extrusion um, is yep. definitely quite useful. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you mentioned the the IDEX extrusion being able to do you know serial production uh, to identical parts at one time, and then multi material as well. So like we print um, a lot of the PP print polypropylene and their support material. Um, so could we theoretically just use that the support material on one side and their polypro on the other? Yeah, because your support material, it's uh, it's also polypropylene. It's a recycled polypropylene. Right. I think, right. Yeah. So, yeah, normally well, we, we already tried. So we print it in on uh, on one side. We print it uh, with the color fab vario shore. And on the other side, we print it with a standard uh, for test reasons with a uh, PLA PHA. So they have completely different temperatures. They have, com they, they, but yeah, it's it, it's it is doable. Right. Uh, you have to make sure uh, flow is 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 okay and everything. But actually, uh, you can go with the same uh, settings uh, for for different materials. Yeah, that's that's definitely obviously. Uh, obviously, if you need uh, a, a triple flow for on one head, head on in the other head, uh, that would give you some issues for the moment because you you only use one file, one sliced file. So that would give you some issues. You can change it manually on the machine. That's an easy one right, while you're going, but you will have to attempt the print. Uh, and be there to do it. <laughs> right, right. So it is, someone it, it, like it Creative works. Real. Yeah, yeah uh, it's still know. fiddling. I hope it works out with Creative Real. We did we did some yeah. testing already with a uh, demo version they sent us. 
still not completely convinced of what we of that's what we need but okay uh, there's some progress let's yeah. uh, let's keep it to that so um yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. did you mention before too you you made a machine with four extruders yeah we have a machine running with four extruders so it's a customer who is running 24/7 only one file yeah so it's a small part only one file they run uh, lengths of around about 4 meters ago every time and yeah they are printing four parts at at one go uh, because we connected them uh, statically it really works completely without any problems. Interesting. So yeah. that would be kind of a, um, you know, just a different approach rather than getting two black belt printers, you could have all four heads doing one simultaneous print. Yeah, if if the part is small enough, uh, uh, so that's an issue. Now, yeah. with that's also a bit why the wider version came. I did, I really didn't want to develop a wider machine, actually. Because the wider the belt, also the effect of warping and everything which is present, ever everywhere present, we know, uh, it's increasing the difficulty to get everything flat and everything. But with the IDX, you have to sacrifice some x-axis to mechanically uh, already harbor the, the the components. So which shrunk down our 340 millimeters belt width to print on by around about 120 millimeters so yeah that, and and that's a bit the reason why the 525 came uh so and so you have a decent width if you are printing two parts at the same time you still have a decent width to print the parts right right yeah. Could yeah. you could you print one large part that yeah. both heads are simultaneously working on? Both extruders? That slicer, right? That's still yeah. the slicer <laughs> issue. Yeah. Yeah. Could you I mean have one very, you know, wide part that takes up the entire build uh width and then have you know both of the IDEX extruders working kind of simultaneously. One gets out of the way while the other one goes back over a certain point. Uh, that's what that would be the ideal. Uh, yeah. I know many have tried. Uh, also, many have failed to <laughs> to work with two extruders on one part. Um, you don't see uh, much progress into the that field in the market. Also, um, I know there are a few companies who did some tests uh, in the in the in 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 the past. But I don't, to my opinion, there's none commercial available that is actually working together on one on one part with two extruders or more. Right. Uh, Modix did a test a few years ago, uh, which worked and didn't work. But yeah. I don't know if they are going to to continue uh, in that field. I don't know. Uh, I don't see if the uh, the industry doing any. Uh, yeah, let's see effort effort to to develop machines uh, in 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 that area. Right. Yeah. No. Just a, an interesting thought. I think I had seen um, you know one instance of this kind of dual extrusion approach from different areas of one part. Um, but obviously, you know, it's a pretty pretty tough nut to crack with uh, the slicer that you would need to do that um, all that coding in the background yeah uh, yeah that's that's definitely quite interesting there's one other feature that I originally didn't really pick up on but I was reading back through one of your um, one of the presentations you sent me a while back and so the the actual XY axis um, well, yeah. rather the the x-axis, right? That can change different degrees, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when uh, would you when would you do that? What are those degree changes? How hard is that to change the degrees? Well, we we have for the moment we have uh, fixed uh, angles, so we can print at uh, fifteen degrees, twenty five, thirty five, and forty five. Okay, it's a fixed. So you set the machine at one angle uh calibrate the nozzle again uh and then you start printing and if you want to change 
still for the moment, if you want to change the angle, you have to stop the, the printing process, manually uh, reset it um, to another angle, slice according to it, absolutely slice according to it, and then uh, you can restart. Because actually what we saw is that the most favorable angle to print on is not 45 degrees. Uh, so the most favorable angle for, let's say, the most success with the most parts is uh, 35 degrees. Interesting. 80% so, uh, uh, of the parts uh, we are printing here in print service for customers uh, and to proof concept and whatsoever, we are printing at 35 degrees. So because the biggest range of success parts is uh, actually 35 degrees. Um, okay. as we know, what kind of change is there? Um, you know, is it bed adhesion? Is it just the, the way that it's laying down the filament the quality, actually the quality of the print and the surface and, and the surface and whatsoever, you can't forget that, um, angled printing and slicing for angled printing is completely different than Cartesian. Mm -hmm. uh, we start having problems like, for instance, in pellet, in pellet printing also, the flow of your material is important. It's way more critical than standard filament printing Cartesian. Mm -hmm. Once you start printing under an angle, this also is starting to appear. So printing the flow for printing under an angle of 15 degrees and printing under an angle of 45 degrees, it completely changes. Mm. It's, it can be that you will have to shrink down your flow at uh, 55, uh, 45 degrees up to 80% of the flow you're using uh, for a standard Cartesian. It is it is rather important. And because of the fact that yeah, we are printing under an angle, so you are pushing your part away from your nozzle, right. it gives you, it, it's, the learning curve is not difficult to start printing with, with the belt, sure. but it is, uh, it is way more critical than Cartesian printing. So it's yeah. starting out at about 45 and you said it's about 80% of the flow from, you know, general 90 degree printing. And as you go down, so say 35, do you have to decrease the, the flow rate then too? Uh, no, as, as low as you, uh, when you go lower with the angle, you theoretically would have to increase the flow. Increase the or flow. If you go okay. up to 15 degrees, you're almost at zero. And, then, and right. then you are going very close to the, um, uh, the Cartesian settings, actually. Okay, right. right. Cartesian settings, actually. Downside, and that's a bit, the 15 degrees shrinks the Z axis, the, the um, height of the part on the belt so damn, uh, damn right. much. You gain some speed, but you lose a lot of height of the part that, that you can print yeah it is possible so the black belt pattern says in between zero and 90 degrees so no one and 89 degrees so that's where the black belt pattern talks about so we keep in the in in those angles what i would like to see in the future is actually to have a driven gantry sure that, well, you can actually that, change that angle as you're printing no, not as you're printing. When you shift from one part to another, mm. that the machine recognizes uh, at what angle it has to start printing and it changes automatically and then starts uh, homing again, uh, recalibrating by itself and continue the print cues. Okay, okay. So after that would be very started. nice. Uh, that yeah. would be very nice. But it still has some, yeah, first of all, mechanical issues and then slicing issues. And it, uh, but that would be very nice, would be very interesting. Because what you have now is if you mistake uh, your print and you try to print a 45 angle sliced print on a 35 degree angle, uh, you will see it'll print. Yeah. But it'll never be good. It'll never be okay. So the, the part is squeezed. Uh, so, right. Uh, and to avoid that, you it would be nice to be able to recognize the file name and sure. make sure that the angle, or at least 
tell the customer you're at a wrong angle. You have to use uh, right. a, a different setting. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Let's say that, and then they go <laughs> manually change it. Yeah. yeah well, well, so, but that's that's still future music. Let's say for for the moment we are focusing on uh, everything we did is make sure that everything works appropriately, uh, it and and that all problems are out of the way. So that's a bit uh, focused for the moment. Yeah. So how would we make that decision then based on the different parts that we would want to print? What are those, what are some of those considerations to figure out what is the optimal angle that we should be printing it at? I would say start off with 35 degree, make yeah. the slice. And as we all know, uh, what happens on your screen, if you check your slice yeah. will happen in on the machine also. Okay, uh, sure. uh, if you have uh, islands, somewhere flying around uh, in your slicer it'll print in in open air on the machine itself also but sure. a, a okay. good a good starting point is 35 degrees um and then there are a few things where you should look at when you are slicing where some difficulties can uh, can occur mm -hmm. but i would say uh, I always start slicing apart at 35 degrees and check the file. If there's not, nothing actually uh, going wrong or uh, obviously not working, we run every part at a 35 degree angle. Okay. So it's based on the geometry then of the part. It's based on the geometry. It, going back to look at it, making sure that those slicing layers are looking uh, yeah. like how you actually want it to print with the consistent thickness walls and yeah. Yeah. whatever appropriate infill or support material then. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I guess support material then too, right? We're Because we're printing on an angle, we don't need as much support or if any in most cases, right? Uh, yeah, uh, not as much or if any, absolutely. Uh, so the supports are positioned completely different then also Cartesian, yeah, obviously. Um, and you absolutely don't need that much. Uh, if you need to, to support the part, uh, you don't need that much support. I I tend to design my supports myself. Yeah, sure. For, for a few reasons. If you let the Cura slicer decide where he wants to put uh, supports, we all know they put too much support in areas we don't want it. So sure. that's already one. So to yeah. save to save material, to save post processing, I uh, usually design the support myself. So you can sure. decide where you want it. Even I I even design if necessary, uh, depending on the part. If necessary, you need to print a raft, which you don't do a lot on belts. But okay, if you need a raft to keep the part uh, on the belt. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's no contact points anyway. Mm -hmm. um, even that one, I'm designing myself to be sure okay. we don't use that much material. The For the moment, the machine is running uh, and we have a 0.65 millimeter thickness of support uh, and a 0.5 millimeter uh, raft standing and the part is actually completely supported in the air because it's curved in all dimensions. So, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have one of those parts that uh, is coming up. Uh, can't quite chat about it yet um, publicly here, unfortunately, but I was thinking this is going to be a great uh, application for, you know, the black belt printer as soon as this arrives. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to getting my hands dirty here as, as soon as it gets here and uh, starting to push that to the limit uh, yeah. for sure. So, yeah. No, the, yeah. And, and the most interesting also in designing your supports yourself is the air gap you you design the air gap in your in your for the the support and the part you're designing it so and based on when once you start based on your experience you will know okay for that material you will need uh 0.15 millimeters uh air gap for another material you will need 0.35 material air gap or even right. more and then when the parts come comes off the machine uh, you take the support, you can take it off actually without having any scars or whatsoever. Right. Um, and without ex extra labor of yeah grinding, milling or whatsoever. Yeah. 
we do a lot of that already and it's definitely yeah, we know. time consuming <laughs> and messy, uh, especially when we're talking about polypropylene. Um, you know, if we're if we're making those support structures in polypropylene and not the piece support material, then it's definitely time consuming to get that off of the part. But yeah, this gets back to um, one of my previous uh, podcasts here. I talked a little bit more about design for additive manufacturing. Yeah. Right? You know, coming up with these um, custom support structures specifically for your part um, so that there's no question, you know, how this part is going to be printed and how it's going to be post-processed uh, yeah. clean, cleanly and in the, you know, least amount of labor support, you know, afterwards. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, little tidbit there. That's definitely a good um good key point of trying to you know print something in this different way yeah yeah but i even do that for cartesian printing also yeah Print, sure. uh, yeah 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 because it saves a lot of time eh? you only use the material you need uh, you use your uh, or you decide your own toolpath uh, sure. where the printer goes so where you lose time or whatsoever so uh, i do a lot uh, use uh, also for Cartesian printing on Modix or on, on whatever right. other machine, we do a lot of uh, custom supports designed in SolidWorks while you're designing your part. Uh, what you say is is very important. If you take into the considerations the, the way you need to print it, you can already integrate a lot in the design without having the need for support or mm -hmm. minimizing yeah, scarring or whatsoever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe we could uh, at some point here have a little course. Uh, maybe we'll do a, a virtual online course that we record where we talk about some of these design considerations on support material design, because um, I think, you know, people right now, most people who are 3D printing by FDM are just hitting that easy button in the slicer and, uh, you know, give that a number of degrees and and go for it. You know, it's kind of nice now where a couple slicers like Prusa slicer um, you're able to just paint on where yeah. you have that support material I, I really love that feature of Prusa um, yeah. you know but that's that's slightly getting towards this you know designing specific support materials for your yeah. part but um, yeah I think you you've hit the nail on the head there with uh, you know wanting to minimize the amount of material that you're using making sure that you're getting a nice clean surface finish. Um, I'd, I'd like to kind of maybe look into that with you a little bit at a later time with uh, maybe coming yeah. up with a design course, because I think that's a, um, a key feature that um, some people are getting into now, but um, getting out to more of the, um, you know, 3D printing population would be uh, quite interesting and helpful just to raise this educational bar in the field. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to download the beta version from Prusa Slicer. So the uh, the two point six uh, beta, it works fantastic. It's not a slicer for the faint-hearted, so they they haven't released it yet. Okay. But it it it's uh, you now have the ability to have three supports. Uh, it it's it has a lot of new features um, that w are very interesting. In compared to the the one they released the two point five point two, the new beta two points I think it's two point six point zero beta, uh, it works it works fantastically. Also to configure it other machines, it's very nice. Um, you can even yeah slice your Kratos or whatsoever if yep. you would like. Um, once your setup is done, it it really works, and and it has nice new features. Very I nice. found out a few days ago also, but yeah, it's fantastic. It works. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to download that this afternoon. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Cre uh, credits to the, the guys from Prusa who are doing that. It's fantastic. Uh, what they are having is, is nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've I've loved Prusa Slicer. There are a lot of features in there that I've gotten some really nice quality prints out of because I've used that slicer. Um, you know, we use Cura Simplify 3D Idea Maker for Raise 3D. We've we've done them all. Yeah. Uh, you know, Prusa has definitely taken a step up. I've noticed in the past year or so. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely nice to see and uh, continuing to add on these features because they're they're very useful to getting these successful prints, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there anything yeah. else specific to the black belt printer that you think we didn't mention yet, or uh, you'd like people to know? 
It's now now very available in the U.S. We are uh, with our collaboration yep. here, uh, between OMD 3D and Ascent Fabrication. Um, you know, we are offering uh, this distribution service in, in North America and to uh, all different categories of industries, uh, whether you're into automotive, aerospace, um, you name it. Um, you know, we're, we're getting into some continuous printing of foot orthotics in the prosthetics and orthotics field. And I have a couple more ideas for some uh, continuous printing that is going to be very useful for this long type, uh, you know, build area. Yeah. So definitely reach out if you'd like a, a quote for your custom built uh, by Peter and his team there, uh, black belt printer. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely run you through the whole gambit of options um, that we've talked about today, as well as maybe something we haven't mentioned. But um, I think we did a pretty nice job of going over uh, that printer um, in in a you know broad sense and what it's capable of. Um, you know, definitely reach out if you're interested in that printer itself. Um, and then also with our training services at Ascent Fabrication, if you're looking for that installation support, um, we'll come in for a couple of days. We'll do the training on the black belts, run you through how to print your parts in whatever material that you want to print. Um, on our black belt, uh, we will actually pre-print some of those, um, you know, prints for you so that we can, uh, you can make sure that you can print your parts on this machine. Uh, we'll do that service for you as well. Um, you know, and maybe try to, you know, prove out that process before you make a purchase. So, you know, going into it, you have no questions or uh, concerns about having this printer in your facility. Um, and then the ongoing maintenance and support packages will come in and service the machine as needed. Um, if something's going wrong, uh, we can have a technician there within a day or so, uh, making sure that that is completely serviced, your prints are working fine, and we figure out any issues along the way. Um, so looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, looking forward to, you know, getting out to more fields and trying to see uh, where this printer has its applications. Um, Peter, if anyone wants to contact you guys directly, uh, what's the best way to do that? I think the best is yeah by email, uh, by emails at sales at omd3d. Um, I think that's the the easiest way or through LinkedIn. Uh, I think uh, most people will find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will, will find me on LinkedIn. So and and for the rest, actually, I have uh, still two two small things to say. There's no problem big enough we can't solve it anyway. So that's one go. And 90% of 3D printing problems are not caused by the machine. Mm -hmm. They are in between the screen and the chair. That's where 90% of 3D printing problems are right. located. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, a good thing because that's something we can solve by educating people, by right. telling right. how to. And for the rest, yeah. Yeah, keep, no, on, absolutely. Keep, keep calm and keep on printing. So. <laughs> yeah. Keep calm and keep on printing. I like that. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll go into the weekend on that note. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, Peter, for the time. Uh, I know you're a busy man and uh, have a busy team behind you uh, as well. So, you know, thank you for the time. And, uh, you know, we look forward to working with you more uh, through Black Belt. Uh, yeah. Thank you again, everyone, for listening to Fabrication Friday. Um, Joe Fairley here, owner of Ascent Fabrication with Peter uh, from OMD3D. So thank you very much. Have a good one.